Hey everybody, welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker. And today I'm talking with Kirk Rawlings, who is one half of Chicago band Courtesy. We cover a lot of ground in this episode and we get pretty deep. This is one of the more personal and vulnerable episodes of Music Therapy. Kirk has struggled with mental health issues since childhood, and he really opens up about mental health and how it's impacted his life and how mental health has impacted his music. We talk about psychiatric medication, and it was wild to learn how young Kirk was when he was first put on psychiatric medication. We talk drug use, we get into how Courtesy makes their music, and we also talk about Kirk's two suicide attempts and how he changed after that. A lot of this sounds pretty dark, and at times it is, but at the end of it all, I, I actually found this conversation very uplifting. We have all this and more coming up on this very candid and personal episode of Music Therapy. Hey everybody, welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker. I'm a musician here in Chicago, Illinois, and I'm also a licensed clinical professional counselor. Music Therapy is a mental health podcast for musicians and music fans. And you can visit musictherapypodcast.com to look at upcoming events and listen to other episodes. Um, please subscribe, give us a review. All that helps us out. We do have an event coming up. That's going to be on Wednesday, April 6th at Cafe Mustache. That's our April group session where I talk with a full band and they give a live performance. And that's going to be with Chicago band Frico. I'm really excited to talk to Frico. I hope you guys will come out to Cafe Mustache. Again, that's on Wednesday, April 6th at Cafe Mustache. Doors at 8 o'clock. And there's a $10 suggested donation. All that goes to the band and to support the show. So today I'm talking with Kirk Rawlings, and I gave a bit of an intro there, but we, we really get into a lot of mental health stuff on this episode, and Kirk was really, really open about his journey, his struggles, and how that all relates to his music. We also just talk about Courtesy, his band, and how they create music, how they work together, what the dynamic is. This is a two-piece band. Let's say they have an album that came out in November called Check the Milk. That's excellent. And uh, we talk about that. We're also going to listen to some tracks off the album. So I'm excited to get to all that. Let's go ahead and turn to my conversation with Kirk Rawlings of Courtesy. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Sorry. Uh, how are you feeling? Uh. <laughs> Good. I'm anxious. Uh, I'm not used to doing a thing, anything like this, so uh, it's different. Well, okay, okay. Let's 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 uh, get oriented. The first question I always ask is, can you tell us about what a typical week looks like for you these days? Uh, a typical week. I um, I it varies really, but I have been doing uh, some freelance composition for commercials and. Um, some like real music for people's reels and things like that. So uh, it's pretty loose. Um, so you do commercial music? Yes. Are you are you independent? Or are you affiliated with the studio? No, just myself, just freelance. Yeah, just anything, get... any, anything I could pull in, really. So how did you get connected with that? That can take a little bit of a in, I think. Yeah, well, my wife's job really kind of got me started on it. Um, <clears throat> she works for a graphic recording firm and they uh illustrate 
speeches and stories in real time and they needed a reel. So, uh, you know, so I did the music for that. And then that led to me to some commercials for them. And, um, and that's how I got the ball rolling. And I just started reaching out to people and friends have hooked me up with jobs and I've just got them all kinds of ways. So you, is that going back to a typical week, I like to ask that question because I think it gives the listeners and other musicians like what the life of another musician looks like. Yeah. So sounds like part of yours is freelance work. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I get up and um, my wife for, since the pandemic has been working from home too. So I'm kind of like, you know, I do the freelance work and slash house husband. So I get us breakfast going in the morning and clean the house and do all that kind of stuff and uh, you know, work on music when I can. And I do creative stuff for myself and for courtesy a lot. So I try to at least touch that every day. So. Okay. Do you, is there anything else you do for, for income besides the freelance work that you talked about? Not right now. I'm looking for some part-time work. Yeah. Just something. No. music related or or open to other stuff too open to whatever really yeah i'm kind of tired of being here alone at home it gets a little lonely so uh i would like to be out in the workforce somewhere where there's you know a group of people or a company that i enjoy you know working with the people and kind of believe in a little bit so that'd be nice is there anything in particular maybe there's a listener who can offer what it, oh, I, it is oh, i don't know uh, not anything in particular, really. I mean, anything creative would be ideal, but you know, that's few and far between. So, um, so I don't know. I've also done some writing, so, you know, any kind of writing job would be great. Um, yeah, I've bartended, I've done, I've done it all. How but, has the, uh, how's the pandemic been for you? Uh, kind of good and kind of bad. Um, it was good in that I kind of needed life in the world to slow down for a bit for me to kind of catch up and get my bearings. Uh, right before that, I was speaking of mental health. I was having panic attacks for the first time in my life, which I used to think was dramatic. You know, I didn't necessarily even believe in them. Uh-huh. And then and then it just one day hit me and it was on. And I think it had a lot to do like it was like when, you know, Trump came into office and all that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finding out my parents were on the train. So oh. um, that was kind of foundationally rocking. So um, I just developed a certain level of anxiety that I didn't have before and had legit panic attacks, like classic ones where you feel like you're having a heart attack and your arms go numb and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. that, was, that was all happening kind of before it started right before the pandemic and then the pandemic hit and the lockdown and uh, and it like i said the slowing down of just the world was nice and kind of good for me um and to bring everything home and also my, my wife and i got to see each other more you know mm-hmm. uh since we're both here at home alone um but i also had two elderly dogs that were fading fast and it was almost 24 hour care. So it was kind of good that I stopped working a little bit and got to take care of them. And unfortunately we had to put both of them down last spring, just a week apart from each other. So that was, I'm sorry to hear that. That was super heavy, but, uh, you know, I'm grateful that we had, you know, 14 years with them. 
So did you, I know a lot of people had music plans interrupted by the pandemic. Did you guys have, or you personally have anything that you thought was going to happen that changed? Not particularly as it, as it pertains to music. Uh, it actually gave me some time to work on the album or the, the one that's about to come out uh, uh-huh. in a couple of weeks uh, and dial into that and just concentrate on it instead of it being a side thing that I'm squeezing in between work. You know? So uh, it, it helped, helped a lot actually. So. so, okay. So let's talk about the album a little bit. So you have yeah. an album that's going to be released on November 19th. Yeah. And it's called Check the Milk. Yes. And it's coming out on Seasick Records. Yeah. Sounds like you've been, how long have you been working on the album? Um, uh, maybe about a year and a half, really, just off and on. And, um, and there's other songs that didn't make it to the record, so it was like a big batch of tunes. Uh, and the way it works is Drew, my partner in the band, usually, uh, like, what it, it's happened both times when we've gotten off a bigger tour, and then we don't talk to each other for a while, and he just sends me a big you know, load of songs mm-hmm. and, uh, and I react to them and, uh, it doesn't always work that way. Some of them are just, you know, me for the most part, uh, built from the bottom up, but, but yeah, I mean, most of the songs on this record outside of maybe two of them, I think were, were things that Drew sent me and, and I react to them. I write melodies to them and some of them might be just eight bars of a loop, you know, so I got to yeah. somehow like make a song out of that. So, so he'll send you like a, a logic file with all the stems or what do you get from yeah, him? Yeah, yeah, a logic file. Um, it used to be like the old albums. He would send me one file mm-hmm. and it would, because he would do it on a four track, you know, and just no concern for, for quality <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah. And just send it to me and say good luck, you know. So uh, <laughs> there was a lot of, uh, you know, noise reduction work and things like that. Just like trying to polish a turd kind of, you know, to put it grass. What are the strengths that each of you bring to the group? Uh, Individually, as individuals. Drew is, has a lot of strengths. He's, first of all, visually, he's an amazing designer and visual artist. Uh, So all, all of our visual aesthetics, he kind of, you know, steers and and we kind of joke and have joked in the past of calling him like, mother courtesy and me father courtesy because uh-huh. he, he kind of, you know, births <laughs> most things. And, uh, and then I just kind of manage it afterwards. Um, and you know, for a long time, it's been kind of like happy wife, happy life thing with uh-huh. us too, you know? So if he's liking it and, and feeling it, then we go with it, you know? Um, and that has fluctuated back and forth over the years, but, <clears throat> um, but yeah, the, he, uh, He's just good at uh, not doing things the way everybody else does, you know, mm-hmm. like like every other band seems to have similar ingredients or starting points. Not every other band, but a lot of bands. Um, and so the end result has a, a similar just basic band aesthetic. And he does a lot to separate us from the norm, I guess, which has been uh, double-edged sword for us, you know, uh, but, but yeah, that's, that's, that's one of his strengths. Um, 
Do you and mean for like me, starting with? I want to ask you. I want to hear about that. Yeah. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm no, curious. No. Like, do you mean starting with a different palette, or what do you what do you think he approaches that's a little bit different? Uh, yeah, a different palette because he doesn't have a lot of concern for fidelity, um, uh-huh. and he just thinks about things in a different way. Um, yeah. it's, it's hard to explain, but he he comes from way left field sometimes, and um, I, I don't know. I love it. It's it's surprise. He surprises me a lot. So when I get a new batch of tunes from him, I'm really excited. So. Uh, you know, and working with, I've worked with other people and been in bands all my life, and I've never had that kind of uh, constant surprise. You know, he hmm. always surprises me, which uh-huh. keeps it interesting for me and probably why we have lasted as long as we have. So. And so, what do you, what are the strengths that you think you bring to the band? Um, I don't know, melody, I guess. Um, you know, I write most of the vocal melodies um he also sings and writes some of them too but he's got more of like a talky low voice um so i guess uh a lot of like the real sing-songy stuff i write um i'm good with structure and like finding a song i can like i can make a song out of nothing kind of like the same way in the kitchen like macgyver you know give me like uh-huh. you know <laughs> give me three items and i'll make you a meal kind of thing you know mm-hmm. uh, and I do the same thing with with Curtis's music a lot. A lot of it's like really simple ingredients, and I gotta make you know a full blown song out of it. So, so that's, I, I, I'm good at making something out of nothing. I guess.
can you talk about the track? Uh, is it King Clave? King Clave. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it was kind of like a linchpin for the whole album. He sent me like the foundation of the music and I added like all the guitars and things like that, but, uh, okay. and put like a song structure to it. But the words we talk about, um, uh, we write the words together a lot too fire and back and forth. A lot of it's like I'll improv on the thing first phonetically, and then we'll try and dig words out of that. And then we pass them back and forth and whoever's got the better line we do, or whoever makes somebody else laugh or something, you know, uh-huh. we'll, we'll, we'll take that. So uh, there's a lot of humor in the band. I think they get lost on some people that, you know, think that, you know, take themselves or us too seriously, or think we take ourselves too seriously. Or but it's, uh, that song is kind of like the, uncanny valley version of your environment you know where um where you know there's a line in there about the fireplace on the tv you know we astroturf representing grass waterfalls in your house there's things in your house that you bring in that represent nature but they're still artificial Mm -hmm. and so sometimes that gives like a creepy like uncanny valley is more to do with faces um but we kind of applied that to your environment can creep you out when you have uh you know too many representations of nature plastic fruit you know shit like that so. uh-huh uh-huh okay um you know we have quite a bullet point list of uh things to talk about i want to make okay. sure I wanna, and i'm gonna kind of like say you know for anybody who's listening right now i whenever I talk to somebody beforehand, we connect and talk about some things we might want to talk about. So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of a list here. Yeah. There's some broad words. I'm just going to say the words and maybe we can go off from there. But one of the okay. things you talked about was mental health. Yeah. yeah. So what are you, what are you thinking about there? When you said that. Um, well, it's the music therapy podcast or mm-hmm. I guess it's a podcast. Uh, but, it, yeah. uh, yeah. Is that what we're calling? <laughs> uh, but the I've had a long history. I've been in and out of a psychiatrist's office since I was literally in kindergarten. Oh. Uh, yeah, and I was taking antidepressants, Wellbutrin, in kindergarten, along with Ritalin. You know, so what was going uh, on with you in kindergarten? You know, I was just a regular, average kid. Uh, that I was a little wild and the school environment wasn't conducive to have, you know, to, to my nature and having me sit still for Uh hours upon, you know, in, um, but I also had, uh, an abusive manipulative mother, uh, that kind of, you know, forged that, that problem child in me, you know? Um, so a lot of that was super reactionary and, um, my, my mom was also into, uh, into, she was a counselor, a guidance counselor. So she, uh, she's always been very pro pharmaceutical, <laughs> pharmaceutical help, you know? Uh, so I took antidepressants and, uh, things for ADHD when I was, since I was in kindergarten all until I was about 18 years old. So, uh, and I just stopped myself. Looking back on that, how do you feel about having started medication so young? Uh, it's it sucked. I mean, it was 
it was awful. And it was also because we were very self-sufficient and getting ourselves ready for school every day and making our own breakfast and getting ourselves up and things like that from an extremely young age because both my parents worked. So, um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't always remember to take the medication. So it was a lot of up and down. There's a roller coaster, you know, and then, you know, managing the dosage and, you know, raising it and lowering it. And then Prozac came into his existence when I was like in the first or second grade. So then from, we switched from Wellbutrin to Prozac and that I had all kinds of side effects that were unpleasant, you know? Uh, so, yeah, so I took, I mean, name an antidepressant. I took, you know, from the age of five to 18. So um, it was just a constant roller coaster of medication, dosage switching, me forgetting to take it, crashing and taking a dose the next day and then I'm backed up. It was just a roller coaster, you know, and I was, I was an extremely emotional kid too. And that was exacerbated by the medication, you know, by the the ups and downs of the medication. So, and, uh, and also my my mom was explosive and violent and, you know, everybody, she, she controlled the temperature of the house. So, you know, and my, my mom, and, and then so was my, and I had, you know, my sister and my dad were kind of like walking on eggshells, trying to not get in her way or my way, because it was always just me versus her. It was a battle, oh, you know, and yeah. it still sort of functions that way, to be honest with you. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, what it was. So I think I had, a, I had a lot to do with it. It was, it was nature and nurture, lack thereof. That's really hard to hear about. Um, do you take Do you take medication now? No. Did you stop when you you said at eighteen you had stopped? Um, have you taken anything since since then? Uh, no, I mean just smoke a lot of weed. Um, that's how I've regulated myself since then, really. Yeah. Um, and uh, no, I mean I've take an Adderall a couple times off and on just when I feel like I can't really lock myself in and get my shit together, you know? So I've done that, but, but other than that, no, I don't, I don't mess with any of that stuff. My family still takes it. You know, they take tons of medication. So it's like that Monday through Friday pill bottle in everybody's house that has God knows what in it, you know? So, um, I, you know, this is, this is all deeply personal stuff. I feel like because... Oh, I, don't, I don't care. You can ask me whatever. <laughs> okay. Well, I was going to ask, do you, are you in therapy? Uh, no, I did at the beginning of the pandemic for a little while. Um, but I don't know how I feel about talk therapy mm-hmm. much anymore. Uh, I've, I've also have been in therapy off and on since I was in kindergarten. But yeah, I, I, at a certain point you get to you come to the understanding that it's in your cells and it's in your body and that no matter how much your brain tries to regulate how you're feeling, your body takes over and it's, it's on a cellular level at that point. And, uh, and you end up separating the body from the mind in a way and trying to regulate this vehicle that you're driving, you know, and you know, if your engine's messed up, then it doesn't matter who's driving it, you know? So, um, is that how it feels that your engine's messed up? 
Uh, it has in the past. Yeah. I don't necessarily feel some like that much anymore. Um, I still have a lot of anxiety for sure. And I kind of, my baseline is leans towards being depressed, I guess, but it's almost just life now. It's just something, it's just a disposition. Yeah. So more than like something to fret over. Does your depression or anxiety ever get, does it ever impact your creativity or your ability to create? Uh, yes, I guess so. Just by way of motivation. Uh-huh. Like sometimes, sometimes I just, I'm like, I just won't get up and go do it. You know, uh-huh. even, even if it's a, you know, it's a room away. Like I have a studio in the house. that's uh-huh. just, it's right there, you know, but to walk over there and do it and plug everything in. It's like, I don't, I don't, something in me cuts it off before I get started sometimes. So. How, uh, how often would you say you would like to work on something or would like to feel like working on something, but you don't? Uh, I mean, sometimes it, it fluctuates, but sometimes it happens every day. I mean, that I have to like, you know, just like coach myself into like getting up and doing it, you know, or, or doing, or doing that instead of like something that requires no mental investment like i'll go clean or wash the dishes Mm -hmm. you don't have you don't have to you don't have to plug in for it yeah i um a couple of weeks ago i did an episode with a therapist about prolonged stress and she was talking about um she was referencing an author who talks about if you're having trouble starting tell yourself you'll do something for two minutes do it for two minutes uh-huh. and if you want then to keep going great <laughs> yeah if you want to keep going great if after two minutes you still don't feel like it that's fine yeah um it, it makes me think about i mean when you're talking about giving yourself a pep talk mm. what do you what do you say to yourself or how do you cross that uh threshold uh well i i used i'm trying i'm getting better about this but i used to just kind of bully myself into it, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, and I've heard some people say recently on different podcasts and things that like, you would never talk to somebody else that way. I would never talk to somebody else that way. I wouldn't talk to my wife or friends or anybody that way, but I will tell myself like, you stupid piece of shit, get the fuck up. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, like I'm my own bad boss, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I've, I've, worked hard to not do that anymore yeah and just can just keep that in mind sort of compare it to how i would talk to anybody else is the other is the is the gentler voice just as effective as getting you up i think so yeah good all right let's go down let's go down the list the Mm -hmm. next one is drugs yeah uh i've had a kind of romance with drugs. I mean, I know that it's not popular or attractive to say that, but uh, they've been a part of my life and very beneficial in lots of ways. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the only real issue I had, like I drank too much when I was younger, which I guess you know, 
lot of people do, but I, I kind of stopped that by 24, 25 also. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've had a love-hate relationship with, with weed, you know, like I've, I've been an all day, every day smoker for like 25 years. So, yeah. um, so it's just recently, like I got sick two weeks ago and I've only smoked maybe twice since then. Uh-huh. And that's the longest I've gone in my adult life without getting high. Well, how do you feel? I feel kind of great, actually. I'm, I'm getting to a point where I'm almost over it. It's, and it's, it's weird and it's a super new thing. Because it used to also be like, not an identity, but like my, my, my binky. You know what I mean? My, was, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I mean, the amount of money that my wife and I spent on weed and just how dragged out we are, mm-hmm. uh, or we can get, and it affects my voice for sure, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so I don't know, going great so far. So. Keep sticking wow. with I'm, I'm excited that we caught you at this moment where it's like, you know, just that you're in this really different place than you normally find yourself. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, and it just feels good to be clean. I don't know. I just, I'm at a point right now where I just want to do different things and try different things. And that mm-hmm. seems to be like, you know, the most obvious change that I can make. So, uh, so I'm doing it. You know, just like you were saying before, a lot of people do use substances to self-medicate. Um, are you, are you finding that it's revealing anything that, it had been sort of masking the use? I feel a little less depressed, to be honest with you. Uh, so I feel like it's helped that. I'm, I'm dreaming again for the oh. first time. And I mean, I just stopped dreaming, like having dreams or, you know, at least remembering them uh-huh. uh, for most of my life. And now I'm having bananas dreams, like uh-huh. most bonkers real dreams that are waking me up in the middle of the night kind of thing, you know? Uh So that's been really interesting. I kind of love it. How about going back to your creativity? Do you feel, how do you feel about the, your relationship with creative ideas or feeling inspired and drug use? Uh, I don't know. I don't know that there is that much of a relationship for me mm-hmm. with it. Although Curtis has been a very druggy band and our music has been very druggy. Uh-huh. Um, and Drew and I have enjoyed, like we smoke a lot together. It's, you know, it's the third member of the band, I guess, but uh, <laughs> or has been. And um and we've also taken, you know, different psychedelics and things for the purpose of inspiration. But it's it's funny how that works. Like even the cover of this, the, the of Check the Milk that's coming out soon. Mm-hmm. We went over to his house and we were going to have this big like DMT smoking session mm-hmm. for some inspiration. We were striking out on ideas. Both of us were just not, not, not landing on anything that we felt represented the, the music. Um and so we went over there and we smoked that and had like a little, a little powwow there, just the two of us. And, um, and it felt, uh, it felt inconsequential 
in a way that it didn't bring us new ideas. Mm -hmm. It just sent us back to the original idea that we kept having. Cause there's, there's a, a local artist uh, who's amazing. Uh, Ryan Travis Christian. Um, if anybody's listening should check him out, but um, we just kept going back to uh, a drawing that he had of the guy trapped in the corner uh, that you'll see on the cover when it comes out. Yeah. And that represented everything that we felt and that I felt when I was writing words and, and the anxiety of the album, but also it's a pretty cartoonish and, and, and uh, you know, like darkly funny, I guess, in a way. Uh, and, and just the idea of feeling trapped, you know, and uh, so trapped by your environment, you know, it's just two brick walls and this guy's cornered. And, uh, and so that, you know, after that session, we were sitting there, we're just like, that's it. That's what we like. That's what we want. So uh -huh. we, <laughs> So we were like, let's, let's just reach out to the guy, you know? Uh, and we had a friend of a friend that kind of made us, I guess, maybe a little bit more legit in the guy's eyes, but we sent him the idea and the cover that we were going to make. We like Drew, Drew did a little mock-up of it mm -hmm. and sent it to the guy. And he said, if I like your music, I'm, I'm down. And yeah. so we, so we sent him the album and he liked it. So we got lucky. <laughs> wow. What but a then, nail biter. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but, but I mean, it, in a, in a back backward kind of way, it led us to, you know, that DMT trip, even though it didn't like spring forth any ideas of our own. Yeah. Uh, it led us back to like just being solidified and like, yeah, that's what we want. That's what we're looking for. Let's give it a shot. Kind of thing. And yeah, thank God it worked out. So. Do you have any concerns about, you know, let's not, not smoking and your capacity to work on music? No. Good. No, not really. Um, I mean, it feels good to get high and just like melt into it, but um, but no. I mean, I, I sat in on bass the other night at the bottle, uh, and that was the first time I've been on stage in like two years, uh -huh. and the first time I've been not high on stage in twenty five years. Like I said, uh -huh. so, uh, and I I still could just close my eyes and melt into it. Wasn't an issue at all, you know. I didn't miss anything. Did you get? I didn't. Anything? It, I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of a wash. I don't know that it okay. had much effect on me at all, really. Okay. But it was nice. The knowledge to know that is was right. beneficial, beneficial for sure. So. Right. Um. Okay. The next one is identity. Yeah. Uh. I, uh, you know, do you remember what you were talking about there? No, I don't. Um, I guess just being a musician and, and uh, or trying to be a musician and that being who you are and working, what you're working towards all your life and not really having a lot of success at it, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I've had success in the way that I'm proud of the albums I've made, but I've never been in a popular band before, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's always been marginal. I mean, locally popular, but, you know, um, ish, but, but it's, but it's also like when you, and when you talk to like my parents are come from the boomer generation and every time you talk to them about music, it's like, Oh, how much money did you make on that? What's that going to lead to? What's, you know what I mean? There's always like a next step. And it's like, when that is presented to you from a young age, as you need to find a career and identity and that needs to be successful and has to have like an upward trajectory all the time that it's, mm -hmm. you know, 
you get to a certain age, like in your thirties or something, you're like, who am I? What am I doing? Am I wasting my time? Should I be trying to find some other career? You know, should I, you know, uh, so identity gets wrapped up in that a lot. Um, and then, you know, push through it. And at a certain point, you're like, I just don't care anymore. I, I have to do this until I die. It doesn't matter if anybody likes it or not. You know, it's just like what I have to do to not kill myself. Or something, you know, so yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, it's necessary to exist. So, yeah. Well, what would you, um, what would your vision of being a quote successful musician look like for yourself? Oh, I don't know. Um, I don't know because I've also had friends that have been successful like at a young age and, and then now that now their band that was successful doesn't exist and they're in debt to the record label because the record label made them, you know, use a photographer that they didn't want to, that cost twice as much as they would have if they got a friend to do it, things like that, you know? So, uh, so when I was younger, I would look at them and think, Oh, that's successful. I want that. But now that I'm older, I'm like, I'm so glad that didn't happen to me. You know, Uh, you know, it gets sad at a certain point. So I don't know. It's all relative. Um, for me now, success is, do I like the last thing that I made? Mm -hmm. Am I happy making the stuff that I'm making? Am I working on something that's cool? That's pretty much it, you know? And I think with the pandemic and also like the George Floyd stuff, like uh, the whole just, you know, shit storm that happened mm-hmm. the past few years, um, it totally, I mean, I was heading that way anyway, but it totally blew all that out of the water. You know, it's just death and the idea of it and the end of your life or some debilitating illness or disease or the inability to use my hands or something, you know, that could happen at any moment at any time. And I have no control over it. So, you know, why am I fretting over some shit that I, uh, that I don't know if I want in the first place, (laughs) you know, so it's just more about being in the moment as cheesy as that sounds, you know, I'm just, I'm just here making the thing. And if it feels good, I'm having fun. That's, absolutely good enough for me how are you feeling about this new album i like it now i it was a it was a rough album to make uh drew and i were kind of butting heads in directions we wanted to go because of the heaviness in the world that was happening Uh um he was looking for escapism he wanted something light and fun and you know um and just kind of wanted to keep it without, without using the word shallow, he wanted to keep it surface level, you know, yeah. still interesting and fun and all that kind of stuff, but he's, he's real into house music, you know, yeah. just things, things that are just coasty and make you feel good. And I was going the opposite direction. I was looking for meaning. I'm looking for, I'm looking for some sort of spiritual anchor. You know what I mean? I was, uh-huh. I was, I was lost and anxious and having those panic attacks, like I said, um, so we were both kind of in a miserable place, but reacting to it in opposite ways. And so a lot of things that I was sending him, my reaction to, uh, what, you know, the, the, the base tracks that he was sending me or the, or the foundational tracks that he was sending me, he wasn't liking. It. So, so there was a rub there 
and we went back and forth and had some arguments that we hadn't gotten to before. And so, um, and so he was really encouraging me to sing in a different way and more staccato and, uh, shorter words and things like that. And I was, I was feeling the opposite. I was feeling, I was feeling whaley, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. I wanted, to, I wanted to sing long notes and hold shit out. And, uh, and, and he wanted the opposite and, and a big part of this band, a very big part of this band has always been to push each other to do things that make us feel uncomfortable that uh-huh. are not, not in our nature, you know, uh-huh. not just settle in like, this is me, this is what I do. You know, it's more about what is not you, what do you not want to do? And, and putting yourself in that uncomfortable position and then finding uh-huh. something interesting there, you know? So uh, turning over all kinds of rocks to, to find something that's just not obvious, you know? Um, so, so yeah, there were some things there and, and up until maybe this summer, I would listen back to some things and just cringe, you know, at some things that I was singing and the way that I was singing and even some words I was using that I would never have used in a song before. And so, um, so it was cringy and, you know, part of, me liking the album more has been also the reaction that I'm getting from people, you know, uh-huh. it, it, it's made me feel a little better about it. I don't know. People reframing things for me. Have you <clears throat> experienced with any of your previous albums, it having to grow on you or did you feel more immediately, you know, pleased with the, the album? The, the- uh- it's uh, both. I don't know. There's There have been some things that, you know, didn't turn out. A lot of it was like, since we had that foundational track, sometimes where I was working off one track and there's a lot of tape hiss and noise and different things, like I often had to live with what I got. And so there were times when I just didn't feel comfortable about it, presenting that as, <clears throat> you know, as, a, as an album I still don't, I don't know. I don't think we've made a great album yet. I think we're, we're heading there like this, uh-huh. this new and I'm super proud of it. it's the best thing we've done for sure. And uh-huh. most cohesive and more clear and, uh, you know, it's not swamped in vocal effects and all that kind of stuff. So, uh-huh. uh, we're a bit like more naked on this, but, uh, but I still don't feel like we've made a top to bottom great album yet. So, uh, but I think we're getting there. So, what have you, as somebody who's worked on multiple albums, <clears throat> and feel, I get the sense you feel like you're progressing, even if you're not, you haven't arrived mm-hmm. yet. What do you feel you have a better grasp on now, with some experience, when approaching an album? Uh. Well, I've been making and recording my own records for maybe 15 years now mm-hmm. uh, instead of going to a studio and depending on somebody else. So I've gotten just as a producer way better. Uh-huh. Um, and that's with the help of a lot of people like Doug Malone, who owns Jam Deck, uh-huh. um, who used to be in Courtesy. Uh, he's taught me a whole lot. Um, just people along the way producer friends of mine have kind of coached me through a lot and coached me through gear and things like that. So I've absolutely gotten better. And I think this new album 
sounds sonically way better than than the, the previous records. I also wasn't working off just one track this time. Um, there were there were multiple tracks, although uh, 100% of the drums on this new record were recorded on an iPhone 6. So <laughs> just like a single, you know, phone track, you know, sitting in your lap while you play drums. <laughs> So that that also that also actually like helped with the clarity. Like I don't have multiple drum tracks. I've just got the one, and it's you know it opens a lot of air. So did you EQ um, that very much? Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had to, I had to do a lot of things like that, but yeah. uh, but you'd be surprised. I mean, this it sounds great just as it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I that was also one of the exciting parts of about doing this album is. Uh, Drew worked down the street from our practice space. So just on his lunch break, he would go, or on my lunch break, I would go and play some drum. I'd play just a bunch of drum licks, you know, just the, just as much as I could squeeze into an hour uh-huh. and then try and get good loops and things out of that, you know? Uh, so that's how all of the drums came about. So. Um, okay. I like hearing about, so I think I had read in an interview that you guys and it sounds like you don't use a clicker. Do you use, do you work on a grid at all? No. We're, we're actually doing that live this time for the first time ever. We're playing along to some tracks uh-huh. uh, just because we never make the albums con- remotely considering how to play them live. And it's always worked out in the past, even though there are songs that we just didn't play because they wouldn't have worked. Yeah. But, now we're, but now we're trying to play almost all of them. And there's only three of us. So... Uh, so we just have to, yeah. And, and it's it's different. And I, I got like this punk thing in me that like is rebelling against that. You know, <laughs> like I I don't want to do that. But uh, I also don't really love adding another member. You know, three is kind of the magic number for us. So yeah. Um, and then Drew's a hundred percent down for it. That's one of those things where it's like pushing you to do things you're not comfortable with. I'm not comfortable with. And I'm doing it, you know, and the more that I do it, the more comfortable I get with it. So, you know, shit changes. Oh, let me go to, I'm going back to our list. So yeah. there's, there's a really dark one on here, but I don't want to not mm. talk about it because it's hard. You, you yeah. said suicide mm. on there. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, uh, I have been hospitalized twice when I was a kid. Uh, for suicide attempts when I was in seventh grade. And then again, I was a junior in high school. So, you know, it's, it's a music therapy yeah. podcast. I just threw that in there. Uh, so I have some, some knowledge of what it's like to be on the other side of surviving those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also Curtis, he has a song that's kind of one of our more popular ish ones. Uh, and it's about assisted suicide and, mm-hmm. and, uh, like the hook in it is, uh, uh, if I say I want to die, just let me die. Drew was watching a podcast or not a podcast, I'm sorry, a movie about, uh, a guy who was a paraplegic, a quadriplegic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and for years he was just begging his family to let him die, you know, mm-hmm. let him kill himself, you know, and they kept him alive for his own for their own reasons, you know? Mm-hmm. 
and it just struck him and, and me afterwards when he told me the story is selfish. You know, it's, I'm not being on the other side of a couple of attempts. I understand how that when you do kill yourself or attempt, even attempt it, you just transfer that pain to everybody that you love and everybody in your life, even people that you don't even really think that you have a connection with. Um, because the second time that I went in to the hospital when I was a junior, um, I did like an extended hospital stay. So I was in for a really long time and, uh, in Vanderbilt, Nashville. And, uh, I got a bag of letters from people that I went to high school with. And a lot of them I never met before, you know, and they mm-hmm. talked about like how much they thought that I presented myself as somebody who was competent and blah, 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 you know, and, and then made them question like, well, if he feels that way, what does that mean for me? You know? So, uh, I think that's the first time it hit me like the ripple effect of suicide of even a suicide attempt of people in your life that are so far in the periphery that you don't even see them, but you still have an effect on their lives, you know? And every, I have, I and my wife and a lot of my friends, you know, probably have the feeling a lot of being insignificant, but it's just not true. It's just simply not true. And that really highlighted the, the reality of that for me. Did you ever consider attempting suicide after that? No, no, I didn't. It, uh, no, because of, because of that. Because I saw just like how fucking devastating that is for everybody, you know, mm-hmm. for my parents and my sister and cousins, everybody, you know what I mean? And, and, yeah. uh, and it's just, it's just not fair. It's not cool, you know? And I would just never want to put anybody through that. And, uh, and, you know, at that point, I started, at that point, I, I kind of decided I was going to be an artist too for life, you know, like I was just going to do it. I don't care if anybody ever notices it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I don't care if there's any kind of success attached to it or anything. I'm just, I just got to do this from now on. And, um, and I was reading a lot of things at the time, uh, that may seem juvenile now, but like, uh, I, I was reading a lot of stuff that, that talks about like, uh, you know, some of the most downtrodden people and on the planet at the time were writing works of art that lasted way beyond their own lives. Like, you know, Burroughs and, you know, even like Bukowski at the time I was way into him when I was a kid. And, um, and, and so I thought like, I've got, even if I'm in a gutter, you know, and I'm a drug addict or something, I have always got this. I can always write about it. I can always write songs about it. I can always do something and use it in some kind of way. I decided to use all my pain, like exploitatively, just like no matter how bad it got, I'm going to use it. So, Do you still um, do that? Yes. Yeah. I, oft, I do. And I have a, a solo thing also called Beige on Beige that I've just got started. But um so I do more personal things than that, right? More personally about my life and, and things. But often in courtesy, we'll, we'll write 
phonetically and you know, I'll say I'll improv whatever, sing melodies over it, and then I'll go back and like, oh, that sounded cool. What did it sound like I said? And we'll go through that process, and Drew and I will bounce it back and forth. And then when the album's done later, I'll realize, holy shit, that was really personal. That was, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, it didn't it didn't seem like it came from a place of, you know, intentional like, you know, dear diary stuff, but yeah. Uh, but like there's a song called LeBron on the new LeBron James on the new album that like it only struck me this summer. Like I was reading, I was like, oh, my God, this is me. Like I'm writing about <laughs> me and it totally didn't come out or you know intended to come out that way at all. It was just a reactionary, phonetically written thing, you know, so. Mm, it's very Freudian. Yeah, yeah. I'm unconscious. That, yeah, that's um that I'm just thinking about some previous interviews I've had. I think Jess Fish has talked about that too. She'll find herself saying things she wasn't quite aware she was feeling or Yeah. Um and it kind no, of just. finds a outlet. Yeah, for sure. You also wrote down maybe we've already talked about this one, anxieties attached to being a musician. But I want to make sure mm-hmm. that check and see if there's anything else there uh no i mean it's it's kind of like what we talked about before there's a lot of anxiety uh you know finding where you fit in or if you fit in or if what you're doing is any good you know you you never know if it's good until you know way in the hindsight so um so there's anxiety wrapped up in that and like with the parents and all that kind of stuff, you know, like I was talking about before and, you know, them always, you know, being goal oriented or money oriented. Yeah. Uh, and, and like, why would you be doing this if it didn't pay you, you know, or pay your rent or something? Yeah. Uh, so there's anxieties about that. There's anxieties about being in a band and keeping a band together and, uh, finding a place to host that band uh-huh. <laughs> mentally and physically, you know, there's just uh, touring and booking, booking your own tours and, you know, trying to get people in interested in your album at all after you make it, you know what I mean? And there's just so many different things that can cause anxiety. And we've never been like the cool kids at rock and roll high school. Like, you know, we're not like, we're not super popular. I think people think we're more popular than we are. Um, but we've, we've never been that band, you know? So, so we've all, and we've always made music that's like too weird for the straight people and too straight for the weirdos, you know what I mean? So it's like, (laughs) Uh we just kind of fit in this like nowhere, nowhere land, you know? So, um, so yeah, it's like everybody wants to fit in and feel welcome and part of like a scene and part of uh, a crowd and a group. And we're just kind of like, Never been that. Check the milk. Something down face in the dirt. It's getting ugly. If you could find yourself and know my face, you could find yourself and know my face. 
Drew and I are both from Memphis and we're in, in bands there. And we had, you know, we were younger, so we had more of those feelings then. Uh-huh. You know, as you get older, you just tend to give less of a shit. Well, I mean, would you like that feeling? Would you like to? Mm, no, I don't know. No, I don't know. I don't care really, <laughs> to be honest anymore. I don't have those kind of anxieties anymore. I'm just, I just don't. I don't know what changed, but uh, just age maybe. Uh, and I've always, it's always been a double-edged sword. It's like the the left and right brain of things. I just, you know, part of me totally doesn't care and never did care. And part of me kind of wants it, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So. So it's it's really reconciling those two things, but uh, but like I said, as I get older, I give less of a shit. It's more about more about what I'm doing and uh, am I enjoying myself right now, making it. No. So, but it's always cool, like uh, when somebody, and I've been like this since I was a kid. It's like I don't care much if anybody doesn't like me or doesn't really want me a part of their crew, unless I admire their work. Yeah. You know, and if it's somebody like that and they like, like I'm 44 and if like, you know, Brian Case or Fax like likes one of our things, I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm just getting, I'm like a, like a schoolgirl because I'm a huge fan of his, you know. So, um, you know, I could count those people on two hands for sure. But, you know, other than that, I kind of just don't really care. Where, where can people support you? Where can they hear your music? Uh, right here on Instagram or um, courtesy.tv is our website and uh, you know if you you Google Courtesy Chicago we're the first couple hits so there's a there's a band a brand new band uh, called Courtesy that's in Milwaukee a bunch of young dudes (laughs) so look out for them too they got an album about soon (laughs) have you connected with them? yeah yeah we talked Uh, i they're young and like kind of spooked a little bit by me reaching out, you know, but I, I often, I, I have a real bad habit of making jokes and being overly jokey with people and people have no idea that I'm kidding. Yeah. So, um, so I was like, Hey, you know, we should, uh, start a super group, you know, uh, <laughs> courtesies. We'll get any other courtesy around. And there's also a DJ in Sweden, I think, uh, a woman who calls herself courtesy and we talked to her and she's super cool. Um, and she doesn't care. You know, we don't really care about that either. It is a little weird to have them a city over, you know, yeah. and the fact that maybe they haven't figured out Google yet. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but I don't know. They're, they're, their music's pretty good. You know, it's like it's like some emo hardcore stuff. But but they were spooked and thought I was like coming at them a little bit, you know. <laughs> so like their manager called right after that, just called me on the phone and was like, hey, you know. Can we work something out or, you know, I don't know. So <laughs> no. I was like, man, it's cool. I don't, we don't care. You know, it's kind of funny now. So. Well, thank you. Um, thank you very much for being on the show and also yeah. for um, being so candid about some things that were uh, really, really personal and um, yeah. hard, to, hard to hear about, but yeah. I appreciate well, you sharing them. Well, cool. Yeah. I hope uh, somebody got something. Yeah. Well, but I, I appreciate it. This is this is great. I love the idea of this show. Is uh, somebody should have thought about it years ago. It's it's brilliant. It's great. So uh, I really appreciate you having me on. Okay, I want to thank Kirk for being so open and candid and sharing his story. And I want to thank you guys for listening. 
please like, subscribe, visit the website, musictherapypodcast.com, and come out to the show on Wednesday, April 6th with Rico for our next group session. Music Therapy is hosted by Jessica Risker, produced by Sullivan Davis of Local Universe, and is engineered by Joshua Wentz in Chicago. Hope you guys are doing great. See you next week. Peace and love until I see you again.